Yes, Almighty God, we pray that it would be Christ whom we proclaim this evening and Christ who we go on proclaiming through the week ahead, that it might be the name of Jesus that is on our lips and in our hearts. Father, we thank you for these gifts given tonight and those given through the week, and we pray that you might use them, that many around this world would proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, as Saviour, as King. In his name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, please do uh, take a seat. If you were here when we started our series in the book of Jonah three weeks ago, uh, then you might remember that we began that sermon with a question. And I'd like to start this final sermon in the series with a question as well. Only this time, I'd like you to begin by thinking about this one by yourself for just a minute or two. So if you've got a pen or paper, or if you've got a notes app on your phone, then please do get those out now, because what I'd really like you to do is to commit to an answer to this question. Okay, not just to mull it over in your head, but to settle on an answer that you can write down on a piece of paper or on your phone. Okay, so here's the question. What is your biggest ambition in life? What is your biggest ambition in life? Or to put it another way, if God could do one thing in your life, uh, what would it be? If you could ask him to do one thing and you know that he'd do it, what would you ask? So I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes. Think about it for a minute first. uh, And then, as I say, please settle on an answer and write it down. You're not going to have to show it to anyone else, okay? Um, So you can write down the real answer, okay? But have a think about it uh, and then write something down. Okay, just, uh, just for 30 seconds, I-, I want you to turn to the person next to you. I promised you, you you didn't have to share what you've written, so you don't. Um, but if you want to, and if you're brave, then you can. Um, otherwise, just talk for, for a few seconds um, about the sorts of things that you were thinking about. What were the kinds of ambitions that you were thinking? What were the things that were going through your head? What were the, the areas of life that you were considering? Okay, so just 30 seconds uh, with the person next to you.
Great, okay. Well, uh, please do carry on those conversations after the service. Um, there'll be plenty of time to do that. Um, we'd love you to stick around for tea and coffee. And um, there's also some biscuits this evening as well. Um, so please do stay uh, and continue those conversations. But I want now uh, to paint you uh, a picture from my life. Um, and it's a scene that I'm sure that virtually every parent here uh, will recognize. Um, it happened to me, I mean, something like this has happened on multiple occasions, but this particular occasion uh, was a few years ago. And one of my children uh, was about two and a half years old. Uh, and there's something we have to remember before we go any further about people who are two and a half, uh, which is that sometimes they're not entirely rational. So I was putting uh, said child to bed and was about to turn the light off, and, and this child announced that they wanted a book to read. In fact, it was made very clear to me that they wanted a particular book to read. This book, Zog and the Flying Doctors. It's quite a good read if you've never come across it, but it is not appropriate if you're only two and a half and it's well past your bedtime. So I said no. And well, my child's response was pretty much what you might expect from someone who's two and a half and who's pretty tired. They didn't care that it was late, uh, that my dinner was downstairs getting cold, that my wife and her mum, who was staying with us at the time, were waiting for me. Uh, this child didn't care that the light was going to be off, so it would be too dark to read the book anyway. And they didn't care that at only two and a half, they couldn't read. My child wanted that book. 20 minutes later, they'd finally settled. Without the book, I should add, and I sat down to my cold dinner. Now, you see, actually, uh, that is exactly the sort of behavior that we'd expect from a two-and-a-half-year-old, isn't it? Totally focused on their own desires and with no appreciation for the bigger picture. Classic toddler. But what we'll see as we come to the end of the book of Jonah is that even prophets of ancient Israel aren't beyond a toddler tantrum when what they're focused on is taken away from them, when they fail to see the bigger picture. Let's take a look at what really matters to Jonah as we read again from verse 5 of chapter 4. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. You see, Jonah gets really riled up. He's properly angry with God. And why? Well, seemingly because his comfort has been taken away. Jonah is enraged that because of God's actions, he, Jonah, might be a bit uncomfortable. 
And then look at the contrast that God draws between himself and Jonah. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. You can almost imagine him stamping his foot, can't you? But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? You see, on the one hand, we've got Jonah, who's concerned for his own comfort. If you ask Jonah what really wound him up, well, well then I guess he'd probably say sweating or sunburn. But God, well, well God is concerned for the eternal destiny of the nations. He is concerned for for the fate of the 120,000 people in Nineveh. That's what gets God going. Saving sinners in their thousands. Turning whole nations to himself. So that they might know him. So that they might worship him. So that they might love him. Do you see? God's plans, God's concerns are so much bigger than Jonah's. Jonah was also concerned about the plants, about his comfort and shelter, but he cared not a jot for the Ninevites. God is radically, massively, globally interested in saving people. And so today, what is God doing? Well, well, he's not just about a few Christians in a, in a happy little club called church. No, he's about saving the nations, about redeeming all of creation. Just as an aside, and it is pretty much entirely speculation, but I do wonder if that's the point of mentioning the many animals right at the end. Not that they have souls that need saving, but that God's redemption includes all that he has made. You see, too often, I think, we are totally self-absorbed. We fail to see God's grand plan of redemption. We think, like Jonah did, that the gospel is all about our personal salvation. It's about saving me and making me comfortable. But friends, God has bigger plans. And so that ambition that you wrote down just a moment ago, I wonder how you felt when I asked you to write it. Sometimes Christians are portrayed as, as being anti-ambition. Somehow it's, it's ungodly to desire certain things or to hope for certain circumstances or to have life goals. But, you know, I think Jonah shows us that the problem is, is not that we're ambitious. It's that we're not ambitious enough. God says, your ambitions are too small. Jonah wanted more than anything to be comfortable, to have a comfortable life resting in the shade. We know from from this passage that that really matters to him because of how angry he gets when it's taken away from him. But God, well, well, God wanted to save the Ninevites. Your ambitions are too small. 
And so can I be really provocative? What is it that would make you really angry with God if he didn't give it to you? Or perhaps worse, if he did give it to you and then took it away? Friends, if you can identify that, then then maybe you've just revealed your greatest ambition in life. And maybe, just maybe, it falls short of God's ambitions. What is it that you really want in life? Ultimately, I think for many of us, it's comfort, isn't it? Whether that's found in in relationships, in money, in status. But what if God had something in store for you that means that you might need to forego your comfort? It can't have been comfortable for Jonah to preach to the Ninevites, but God was working through him to save an entire city. It'd be great, wouldn't it, to, to be a parent and to have a family? But what about bringing thousands into the family of God? It'd be great, wouldn't it, to have a a well-paid job and enjoy financial comfort? But what about introducing others to the riches of heaven? It'd be great, wouldn't it, to be be famous and well-known? But what about increasing God's fame and renown? across the world. So take a look again at that ambition that you've written down. Now, I don't know what you wrote, but, but can I suggest that for most of us, it's probably too small. Our ambitions are, are too small. Our God is a big God, and he's interested in working in this world in big ways. So we need to get on board and and start thinking big. And you know, the place where we see God's big, ambitious, global plan most clearly is displayed in the life and death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Because, you know, Jonah gets a mention in the New Testament as well. If you've got a church Bible with me, just turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. It's on page 978. I'm going to read from, page 30, from verse 38. This is Matthew 12 from verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, We want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's a very obvious link, isn't there, between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah was was three days in the fish, in the depths, in in the place of the dead, and then came back to dry land to bring salvation to Nineveh. Jesus was, was three days in the grave, in the place of the dead, and then came back to bring salvation to the nations. 
But I think there's more to the sign of Jonah. Because just look at what Jesus goes on to say to the Pharisees from verse 41 of Matthew 12. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The man of Nineveh, the queen of the south, both pictures of people beyond Israel who were included in God's salvation. People who, who really shouldn't even have been on his radar. And yet God, in his grace, was pleased to bring them into his family. I think the sign of Jonah is that God's plans are bigger than ours. That God, through Christ, has brought about the most ambitious rescue operation ever possible. The Pharisees, just like Jonah and so often just like us, made the mistake of shrinking the mission of God. For them, it was all about their personal salvation, their own personal little bit of God that they'd got, and now they were going to keep all for themselves. I think part of what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, look at Jonah. Look at what God was doing there. Look at how in his sovereignty, he was working on a way bigger scale than Jonah had ever imagined. Look at how he was concerned then, not for Jonah's comfort, but for Nineveh's salvation. Look at your ambitions and see that they are too small. Friends, we need to cultivate kingdom ambitions. Ambitions that, that serve not ourselves, but God and his people and his kingdom. He's a God who's at work in the world, at work to save sinners. He's at work to save a lot of sinners, to build a kingdom, to gather a people of his very own. Friends, that is exciting. That's something to aim for, something to get behind. You know, in two weeks' time, it will be exactly six years since we sent 80 adults and 40 children from Cornerstone to plant Redeemer Church in Beeston. And on Wednesday this week, it was a, a real joy to gather together with Redeemer at their building, the old town hall, and to reflect on, on all that God has been doing in the lives of both congregations over the last six years. And here's the thing. As we planted six years ago, that felt like a pretty ambitious move. Felt like quite a bold thing to do. It was scary and it was costly. We weren't quite sure what God would do with Redeemer or with Cornerstone. But you know, in the years since, we have seen him do more than all we could ask or imagine. That group of 120 has now grown to over 200 each Sunday morning. Here at Cornerstone, we've seen our numbers replenished and then some. 
Redeemer now has a building of their own, and, and you know, some of those who opposed their purchase of the town hall, well, they've come back since to say that they were wrong and that they're pleased with how the church is using the space. God is, is growing and, and strengthening his people in Beeston, and he's doing that here at Cornerstone too. Last Sunday, we baptized eight people, rejoicing in all that God has done in their lives. Both Redeemer and Cornerstone are now looking forward to where God might be leading us in church planting and revitalizing in the years to come. However big we we think our ambitions might be, however exciting our dreams, God is at work to do more than all we ask or imagine. His ambitions are greater than ours. He is at work to build his kingdom to gather his people, to bring glory to his name. And, you know, it's worth saying that that doesn't mean that we need to throw away our hopes and dreams. It doesn't mean that we we all need to set aside whatever career, perhaps, we're, we're training for or engaged in, to put marriage and family on hold and go off to far-flung places around the world to share the gospel. Although it may mean just that for some of us. But it does mean for all of us that we need to submit our ambitions to God's bigger kingdom ambition. We need to ask, what is it that I could do as the person that I am with the gifts that God has given me in the place that he has put me in the season of life that I find myself that would most bring glory to God through the spread of the gospel? And you know, that that might mean being a doctor or an architect or a stay-at-home dad or a church worker or a community volunteer or a graphic designer or a musician. It might mean choosing to retire early so that you can give more of your time to serving others. It might mean changing your day off so that you can get involved in a particular ministry here at Cornerstone. All of those things could be what it looks like for you to serve God faithfully. But let's not hold on to those smaller ambitions like a toddler would. Totally focused on on what we want. And blinded to the bigger picture. To the bigger plan that God has for his world. You see, he he may need you there in in that place. But he may at some point need you elsewhere. I think that's the sign of Jonah. Jonah. That our ambitions are so often too small. God does great things in this world, and He delights to do them through His people. That's the sign that Jonah needed to see, that the Pharisees needed to see, uh, that we too need to see. But I want to leave you with one final surprise from the book of Jonah. And it's this. It just stops. It's a bit of a disappointing ending in some ways, isn't it? It's almost as if the recording got cut off mid-conversation. 
We never find out if Jonah finally got it, if he saw what God had been trying to show him, if he ever actually apologized for the way that he'd spoken to and and treated God. We just don't know those things. But, you know, in a way, I think that's encouraging too. Because at the end of the book, Jonah is still very much a work in progress. And I don't think we've any reason to believe that, that God had finished with him at this point. Just remember, we've said all along that God is working not only on the grand global scale of, of whole cities and nations, but he's also at work in this individual, Jonah. Not an easy individual, for sure. But look at the lengths that God went to to show Jonah something of of his character, something of his ways in the world. Look at the patience that God has shown to this disobedient, grumpy, comfort-loving wretch. You know, I think that gives hope to disobedient, grumpy, comfort-loving wretches everywhere. Because yes, God's plan through Jesus Christ is massive and it is magnificent, but it is also personal and patient. The sign of Jonah is that our God has big plans. And because of the wonderful truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those plans can include remaking you and me to be less disobedient less grumpy, less comfort-loving, and far, far more useful to God as he works in this world. The book of Jonah isn't a stick with which to beat ourselves. We're not supposed to come away discouraged that, that actually we're pretty similar to Jonah. We find it hard to do what God wants when it's uncomfortable for us. We like to pretend that that we're somehow responsible for our own salvation. We get so preoccupied with our little ambitions that we miss his bigger, far more exciting plans. All of that is true. But remember, this book is not primarily about Jonah. It is not primarily about you or me. It is primarily about God, about a God who is at work in his world, about a God who will go to great lengths to save rotten sinners like the Ninevites, about a God who will persevere with even the most self-righteous, arrogant and rude Jonah, simply because that's what this God does. He sets out to to work to save people. Saving them so that he can change them. Saving them so that they can experience, not just know, but but so that they can experience what it is to have him as Lord and Saviour. To know him as Father. And so the book of Jonah is a message of grace. Grace for the Ninevites. Grace even for Jonah, for this Jonah, and for every Jonah ever since. 
Friends, we have every reason to rejoice as we come to the end of the book of Jonah, for we do have a God who is gracious and compassionate, a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And what is that God doing? He's at work. He's at work to to gather to himself a people from every tribe and tongue and language. He's at work to, to transform that people into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And he's at work through Christ to redeem all that he has made. And the wonderful news for us is that he has chosen to include us in that work to give us a part in his magnificent, majestic plan. So will we lift our eyes? Will we expand our horizons? And will we begin to get a feel for what God is doing? Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God who is at work in his world. And we thank you that your plans are so much bigger than ours. We thank you too that in your grace, by your mercy, you choose to achieve those plans through your people. And so we pray that you would make us obedient and willing people. That, Lord, we would submit our own ambitions to your bigger ambitions. That we would long to be useful to you in your purposes of saving the nations. Of bringing men and women, boys and girls, into saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That there might be many more around his throne one day, singing his praises in every language on earth from every culture, from every background. Oh Lord, open our eyes, lift our horizons that we might grasp that great mission and that we might delight to be part of that, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Oh Lord, be at work by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name.